0: This is the Fenway Rundown, the premier podcast for all things Boston Red Sox. You no know, people harp on the last place thing, but essentially what's important is the record. If the Red Sox want people to start thinking the ownership
1: cares, then maybe they should talk.
0: This is the Fenway Rundown, brought to you by Mass Live. Here are your hosts, Chris Cattillo and Sean McAdam.
1: The new week, which means it's time for a new Fenway Rundown podcast, Mass Live Red Sox Show. I'm Chris Catillo with Sean McAdam, as always. We did three episodes from Nashville. We are no longer there. The winter meetings are over. The offseason is still rolling. We will, on later episodes this week, get to talk about Tyler O'Neill, the Red Sox new acquisition, which happened Friday night. We'll have a mailbag episode with our subscribers via our insider text, but today. We have a very special guest and the newest Hall of Famer, Joe Castiglione, the Ford Freck winner. Sean, I know it's somebody that uh, has been a close friend of yours for a long time when I I was the one who informed you that he made the Hall of Fame the other day, and you were uh, very, very excited to receive that news. And I thought, you know, Joe was an excellent guest, as you'd expect for someone who uh, is on cloud nine right now and has the experience he has. Yeah,
0: great news for Joe. He'd he'd, uh, been on the finalist ballot for three times and the fourth time proved the charm. We're thrilled for him, and we'll get to him in a moment. But as Chris mentioned, we do have our insider text program, which we're going to be uh, cultivating questions from uh, for an episode later this week. And we'd like you to be able to join us to have access to me, to Chris Cotillo, to Chris Smith, all off-season long, throughout spring training, and into next year It's an opportunity to stay as current as possible on Red Sox News, both in and out of season. You can text your questions. You can give us trade scenarios. You can comment on what's going on, and we'll get right back to you on your laptop, on your uh, handheld device, on your tablet, whatever you're using to access the internet. It's a great way to communicate with us, and all you have to do is text JOIN to 617-751-6257. Then all you have to do after that is click the link and subscribe today. It comes with a 14-day free trial period, and then it's $4.99 a month. We think you'll find it worthwhile and most of all, fun. We are thrilled to be joined today on our, our latest episode of the Fenway Rundown. By Joe Castiglione, longtime Red Sox broadcaster, who last week was named the latest Ford Frick Award winner for excellence in baseball uh, broadcasting—an honor that uh, I think we all agree was overdue. But nonetheless, welcome, Um, Joe! Congratulations, and thanks for joining us today.
2: John and Chris, great to be with you. Thank you so much. Uh, It certainly has been exciting. A week or so, and uh, it's still trying to set in here.
0: I'm sure, Joe. Uh, <clears throat> tell us a little bit. I, I know that you talked on the call immediately after you got the news about getting the news, but uh, tell us about that morning waiting for the phone call to come and maybe uh, the the subsequent days and some people that you've heard from that have reached out to congratulate you.
2: Well, you know, this was the fourth time that uh, I was a finalist. And uh, the Hall of Fame tells you that we will call between 1030 and 1130 with a noon release uh, if you were the winner. If you're not the winner, you won't hear anything. (laughs) So I had radio silence for uh, the first three times. And uh, it got to be 1121 on uh, Wednesday, December 6th. And I said, uh, well, it's not going to happen. And then the phone rang. And, of course, being a technical klutz, I went to put it on speaker so my wife, Jan, and son, Duke, who was recording, could hear it. Instead, I hit the disconnect button. (laughs) I cut off the call. It was a long 40 seconds before uh, Josh Rawits, the president, and John Chastakowski, the media relations director, formerly with the Red Sox and uh, the Lowell Spinners, got on the phone and uh, gave me the good news. So uh, that was very, very exciting. And then it started right away with uh, the calls and the emails and the texts uh, from great friends. And there have been so many, I think over uh, 300 of them. And yeah, uh, you know, when you're overwhelmed like that, you wonder, can you answer them all? Well, I was convinced to do so because I called Jim Leland, Joe Morgan and I, called Jim Leland, uh, Joe Newham from his minor league managing days, to congratulate Jim on being elected to the hall of fame and jim said he had already returned 450 texts he said that sparky anderson told him many years ago if someone calls you even if it's a weekly newspaper from podunk you're obligated to call them back so you do that and uh, so i took uh, his advice and uh, it's wonderful the people you hear from the baseball people old friends uh, people you never expected to hear from. And it's been very, very gratifying.
0: Good for you, Joe. Tell us about maybe somebody that you heard from that surprised you, someone you hadn't heard from for a long time or someone that you hadn't anticipated reaching out to you.
2: Well, I was very surprised to get a phone call from Wade Box. That came, uh, I believe, the day after. That was uh, uh, very nice. Wade was very gracious. He said, the hardest thing you'll have to do in your life is that speech. (laughs) of course he went through it, but I did hear from hall of famers like Jim Palmer and uh, Dennis Eckersley, Jim Cott. Um, and, you know, I heard from uh, a guy named Romeo who used to own Romeo's restaurant at Lake Wales. When we used to go there all the time when the Red Sox trained in Winter Haven, now that was out of the blue and we haven't been there in over 30 years. Uh, so that was fun. And, uh, a lot of coaches, that was great. Because, you know, broadcasters, writers, we're closer probably to coaches uh, many times than uh, to anyone else in the organization. We're sort of in same income bracket, I guess. Uh, but it was fun to hear from the likes of Juan DeAvis and Tom Goodwin, as well as, of course, more recent guys like uh, Victor Rodriguez and uh, several others. So it's been a lot of fun to, to hear from uh, people that uh, – were happy for me. I think that's what's so gratifying.
0: That's great. Um, but I, I know that you have been a frequent visitor to Cooperstown over the years, in part, Joe, because uh, the Hall of Fame in Cooperstown is not far from your alma mater, Colgate University. Um, in all the visit, first of all, any idea how many times you've been to Cooperstown? And did you ever allow yourself to dream of seeing the plaque that will be there next July.
2: Oh, I did dream about it <laughs> a long time ever since uh, that uh, section went up, which is beautiful. It's overlooking the big window uh, outside of outside of the statues of Johnny Padres pitching and uh, uh, Roy Campanella catching. That's really cool. Uh, I did dream about that. I actually, you know, didn't go to the Hall of Fame until. First time was the summer of 1969 when I was working in Syracuse and going to grad school there Uh, because we didn't have cars at Colgate and it was 50 miles still back roads but uh, I think I've been there probably 25 times uh, over the years with various people we're going to take a ride up uh, this weekend and check out some of the logistics Uh, but it's a wonderful place I usually do a program for anyone who's Happened to be visiting in the Hall of Fame at that time with uh, one of their officials, Bruce Markinson, and uh, others, uh, Jeff Adelson, of course, when he was the president, our former intern. And uh, I just love being there. It, it's, it's so much fun. I've done some research there. Uh, the library is fantastic. I always like it better than our library at Colgate. <laughs> their books. But it's been uh, certainly a place that's very familiar. The village is cool. And, uh, you know, we've stayed all over different places, and now you got the Field of Dreams there for the kids. Uh, it's just a remarkable place, uh, really, in the middle of nowhere.
0: Joe, I'm wondering, because of your broadcast schedule, have you ever attended a an induction weekend before? Usually you're, of course, busy that weekend. Has Have you ever played hooky and gone to an induction ceremony?
2: Twice, and that was very recently. I went when Pedro was inducted. I actually got there Sunday morning because we had a game on Saturday, drove as far as Albany, and finished the drive the next morning. And then I went for David Ortiz. Uh, So those are the only two times I've ever been at an induction. I've never been to see the broadcaster or the writer uh, receive their awards. I used to be at the Doubleday Field outside. Now it's at the Glimmerglass Opera House. That's as close as I'll ever get to an opera, by the way.
1: (laughs) And Sean and I went. When when David Ortiz got in, Tim Kirchen, um was uh, inducted as part of that ceremony at the Opera House. I know Wade Boggs mentioned it, and you're already thinking about it, but when it comes to that speech, is it an overwhelming process to even start thinking about that You know, all these months out? Do you have a good idea of what you're going to say, or, or how's that kind of coming together?
2: Right, Chris, I think it's going to be a big thank you, and I did have the experience of uh, the Red Sox, honoring me with the 40 years, it'll probably be Mm -hmm. similar to that, maybe a little bit longer. I have a 10 minute limit, I'm told. So I think it'll be uh, thanking family and mentors and people I work with uh, along the way, players, coaches, broadcasters, front office people, writers. So I think uh, maybe, you know, a couple of anecdotes uh, about the connection with Cooperstown and uh, a lot depends on, I think, who the guests are too, who comes and, I might point some out, but, uh, it's, I'm, I haven't written anything down yet, but the thoughts are flying in the head.
1: When you, obviously you've, you've spoken to a large audience now for you know four decades plus it's a little different than standing up in front of that crowd in that, in that setting. Do you think there'll be a different level of nerves or a different type of kind of energy than you might be used to?
2: Oh, no question about it, uh, Chris. I'm, much more at ease talking into a microphone where you don't see the audience you're talking to than standing in front of a group and especially a group like this. I mean, I'm not used to being the focus. I'm the one asking the questions and trying to get the answers rather than uh, being the center of attention. So uh, that will be, I think, uh, a lot different. And uh, I did talk to uh, uh, Pat Hughes, last year's winner and, He said that the lights are such that uh, you don't get a great look at everybody in the audience. Maybe that's easier.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right. I wanted to ask, you know, you've been doing this obviously a long time and have so many memories calling World Series and the players you've gotten to meet, the people, the different places you've been. When you look at this honor, is it kind of a culmination of all of that, you know, to, to stand out among your peers? Is it icing on the cake for a great career? Just how do you kind of square, you know, what this all means?
2: Well, I think it really is uh, the icing on the cake. It caps uh, uh, what I think has been a very much a fun career. You know, I first started out, I wanted to do Major League Baseball. And I got the Cleveland Indians job on TV in 1979. Only 40 games in those days, pre-cable. Mm-hmm. Or Pre-MCBS prime time for a six-place team very often. And, uh, you know, then I came to the Red Sox. I wanted to uh, make it through and do a year. And uh, it ended up being so far 41 years. I wanted to do a World Series Then wanted to be part of a winning World Series. And I never thought that they'd name the booth for me. And I never thought that this would happen. It was uh, something, you know, you you think about, but you sort of don't let yourself get carried away with it because the odds are so much uh, against it. And there's so many qualified people. Uh, I mean, er anyone of the 10 on the ballot and many, many others certainly uh are qualified and uh it just so happened that i had the blessings so it's it's going to be uh very very exciting and you know still uh pitching myself that this has happened
0: joe 41 years in the radio booth doing play-by-play of the red sox radio is seen as somewhat of a timeless medium in some ways it hasn't changed all that much but the broadcasting and telecasting of baseball has certainly changed on TV, the innovations, the replays, the number of camera angles, the immediacy, the delivery on the platform, the streaming services. Uh, is, is radio the same job as it was in 1983? And if not, how, how has it changed for you?
2: Well, I think it's a little bit different, uh, Sean. First of all, we're on Sirius XM, so it's a worldwide audience and not just the regional audience, and the proliferation of information. The Internet has changed everything. I think uh, so much is out there. It's much easier to prepare. When I first started uh, with Cleveland in 1979, I'd go to the Cleveland Public Library and get out the newspaper files from out-of-town cities like Chicago or Detroit or Boston. and They were three days late to try to catch up on uh, what was Somewhat current with the opposing teams. Now, of course, <laughs> you just uh, log in and there you go. So I think that's, uh, that's really changed it uh, quite a bit. Uh, the new analytics, relatively speaking, I think uh, have changed it somewhat. Uh, we try not to get too involved with numbers. Uh, any number I always thought should tell a story and uh, not just a number for numbers sake. And you don't want to overwhelm people with figures because it makes it more like going to work for them. This is supposed to be recreation. So if you can tell a story, it's worth a thousand numbers. So I think uh, that has been a factor. And uh, I think we've always encouraged being conversational with one's partner because baseball is a game where you sit there and you, you talk to the person sitting next to you, whether it's your best friend or your father or uncle or somebody you never met before and i think that's a part of the nature of it it's not just my innings and uh, your innings and uh, i think all of those little things have changed but radio still a basic i think uh, because it's portable because you can go to the beach with you and especially in the car with you uh, and the pace of the game has always been for radio because you don't have to pay strict attention And uh, we know about the slow pace. Fortunately, it's faster now. We love the pitch clock. But I think that, uh, you know, when you think about uh, how there's so much non-action, you don't have to concentrate completely if you're listening to radio.
0: I'm sure in the last week, Joe, you've given a lot of thought to the many partners that you've had on the air, dating back to Ken Coleman, who was largely, excuse me, responsible for you getting the job in the first place and then on to Bob Starr, Jerry Truppiano, Glenn Geffner, Tim Neverett, now Will Fleming. uh, The the list goes on and on. What what, what are you thinking as you look back on the number of on-air partners that you've had in your 41 years behind the Red Sox, Mike?
2: Well, I certainly will uh, thank them in my talk. Uh, They all stand out uh, individually. Uh, Ken Coleman was likely responsible for bringing me to Boston, Normally, we don't have any say in who's hired to work with us. Uh, But in that case, 1983, John Miller had left to go to Baltimore, and the Red Sox games had left uh, a Boston station to go to WPLM in Plymouth Campbell Sports Network. Uh, Ken was coming along with it, and uh, he had uh, say because uh, Jack Campbell and Jane Day, who ran the the network, had never hired anyone. They listened to Ken, and I happened to – Work with Ken's son Casey, his late son Casey in Cleveland, who came over from radio to our TV station, and work with him on some of the basics of editing and putting TV packages together and that sort of thing. Casey recommended me to his dad, and uh, we took it from there. And Ken was a wonderful mentor. Uh, he taught me one thing that always stuck with me: that this is a game of failure. You're going to see a lot of players, uh, having bad days. I mean, if you look, a hitter goes uh, three for 10, he's failed seven times, but he's still very successful. And he taught me the patience uh, in that category. And uh, I think that was uh, a great learning lesson. And I watched Ken and listened to Ken on big moments. He was very, very good at that. I did a lot of the legwork and uh, Ken just captured the big moments like the Yaz weekend. And of course, the great moments in 86 when Henderson hit the home run, and we all know what happened in the World Series. Uh, But he was a a wonderful mentor without uh, certainly being overbearing. Uh, Bob Starr uh, taught me how to laugh, I think. Uh, The burly broadcaster, his burliness, as he referred to himself in the third person, uh, was a wonderful guy. We had a lot of fun. Uh, He had a saying, it's not my life and it's not my wife. And he would look over at me when things went bad for the Red Sox. Uh, I'll never forget a game where Comiskey Park and the Red Sox had the tying run at third, the go-ahead run at second in the ninth inning, two out. Bobby Thigpen, I think it might have been his record year for saves, was on the mound. Jody Reed, it's a bullet. Thigpen reaches up and grabs it. Bob says, "Hey, he catches it, game over, White Sox win. And then he started laughing. And he looked over at me, and I guess I was all hunched over. And he said, uh, "Sorry, folks. Uh, I know the Red Sox lost, but I'm laughing because my partner looks like he's just been harpooned."
0: That's that word he is. Well, well <laughs> people, you would, uh, you said on the call, Joe, that um, that one of the things you're proud of is that uh, people have told you that upon turning tuning into a game in the fifth inning. They can usually tell within a few seconds uh, if the Red Sox are winning or losing because of the tone in your voice and and the way you're approaching the broadcast.
2: Well, that certainly would be a condemnation if I were doing a network game. Uh, <laughs> you know, we try to be fair, point out when the opposition does things well or when the Red Sox make a mistake, but um, I'm broadcasting to a regional audience, basically. I know we have, as I said, Sirius XM now, but, uh, I think our fans want the Red Sox to do well, and I want the Red Sox to do well uh, because I know these people, uh, the front office, the players, everybody associated, you pull for them, and also people like the announcer better when the team is winning.
1: <laughs> That's and Joe, Joe I, I didn't know this before kind of looking into it after last week, but you were a, a childhood Yankees fan and now uh, have done this for so long. I and mean, how kind of weird is that just looking back?
2: The, the,
0: dirty, the dirty secret is out, Joe. Yeah, mm-hmm.
2: well, you know, I talked to Susan Waldman a lot, uh, who was a Red Sox fan and went to Fenway Park regularly with her grandfather. I grew up in the New Haven area, and uh, I didn't know many Red Sox fans in Connecticut then, at least uh, in southern Connecticut, because it was the late 50s, early 60s. The Red Sox weren't very good. And the Yankees, uh, of course, had the great Mel Allen, who became my hero. And Mickey Mantle, of course, and uh, and I would go to Yankee Stadium two or three times a year uh, and watch listen to all the games. We, even in the pre-cable days, had like 140 Yankee games on TV on Channel 11. So uh, I was a diehard Yankee fan. I never thought I'd change. It's funny how it works. You know, I went to uh, Youngstown and worked with the Pirates, became a Pirate fan. Then Cleveland became an Indians fan and Brewers somehow it's connected to the paycheck at times. <laughs> Funny how that works.
1: yeah. Huh? Right. Joe, kind of shifting gears uh, a little bit. Um, you, during his playing career, I believe, enjoyed a pretty close relationship with Craig Breslow. Got to know him pretty well. Um, just obviously he's in a, a much different role now as a chief baseball officer. Uh, what was your reaction to the news he was hired, and why do you think he's going to be successful in this gig?
2: I was very excited, Chris. Uh, As I say, I've known Craig and knew of him when he pitched at Yale because my brothers pitched at Yale a generation before he did. And uh, when he came to the Red Sox, the first time I actually met him, but we knew all about him. And uh, I think besides his obvious intelligence, uh, he played the game. He has experience. He knows what it's like to be in a clubhouse. He knows what it's like to have uh, tough days, in the game, as well as success. He was so good in that uh, 13 postseason, especially against Tampa Bay and Detroit. And I think he has a feel for it. And I think he has the uh, ability to separate analytics from the human element. Uh, I think that will be a big factor because of his experience as a player. Uh, You know, obviously he's got to learn dealing with agents and that sort of thing. Although, you know, he was presented by an agent, so I think he has some knowledge there. Mm -hmm. So I think it'll be a real plus for the Red Sox. And, you know, if he's given leeway, I think he'll do a very good job.
1: As you look at this offseason, this is what we talk about on the podcast, obviously, a lot. You know, not much has happened. Alex Verdugo gets traded. Tyler O'Neal comes in last week. Obviously, pitching is the name of the game right now, and they're in on some of the biggest names. What would you like to see them do?
2: Well, I'd like to see them get two starting pitchers for one thing. I think that's uh, going to be difficult, but there's not a great deal on the market. And I think they will come up uh, with at least one, maybe two arms. Uh, you'd like to see the defense better, but I think it will be whichever story healthy. Uh, and second base remains a, a question, but uh, uh, I think from what I've read, I don't, really know uh, much about tyler o'neill other than his numbers we haven't seen him play much but i think that should help the outfield defense and uh, but the pitching is the main thing and we will see what happens but they have to be better defensively they have to catch the ball right now you can't make any predictions we don't know who's on the roster so we'll see what happens
0: <laughs> Well, we can make this prediction, Joe. We know that when opening day rolls around, you will be again behind the mic and uh, part of your starting your 42nd year. Um, I, I know that you've scaled back a little in the last couple of years, dropped some travel and enjoyed uh, life with your wife, Jan, and doing some other things away from the ballpark. What are the plans for you in terms of the future? How much longer do you want to continue doing this? And I'm going to assume that it's still something that you know that you don't want to let go of that you still enjoy doing.
2: Well, I do love it. It'll be family decisions. I really haven't uh, made up my mind completely yet. Uh, And if I do continue to be fewer games, I did 90 this past year, probably you know 80 to 90 this season, and uh, we'll just take it from there. But uh, I've had so much fun. I still love it, and. I still am blessed with good health. Kirk Gotti told me that years ago. He said, You have to have good health to do this job. And I was very blessed.
0: Well, um, a a terrific year coming up for you, Joe, uh, culminating with induction weekend toward the end of July in Cooperstown. We're thrilled for you. We're glad that you are not, as you had feared, joining the Buffalo Bills in infamy with four appearances without a win. We, we're glad that uh, you finally got your just due and uh, can't wait for the induction ceremony. Thanks for joining us today, Joe, and congratulations again.
2: Well, thank you much, uh, gentlemen. I've read you many years and have always admired you and uh, cherished your friendship. So uh, I really appreciate that you're reaching out to me. And uh, thank you so much.
0: Our thanks again to our guest, Joe Castiglione, the Ford Frick Award winner who will be honored next July in Cooperstown. We're thrilled for Joe and happy that he joined us for this episode. We will have another episode later this week in which uh, subscribers to our Insider Text Program will provide the questions. If you would like to be among them, All you have to do is text the word JOIN to 617-751-6257. Then simply click the link and subscribe today. It's free for 14 days and $4.99 thereafter. An opportunity to stay most current on all Red Sox news in and out of season.
1: This has been the Fenway
0: Rundown, brought to you by Mass Live.